welcome to our 11th episode of the Growth Podcast. We're so happy that you're joining us on today's edition of the podcast. We continue having conversations with people that are, well, good conversations that are good for growth at personal development. And today is no exception. Obviously, I am talking to one of the youngest CEOs I have ever come across. And when I say youngest CEOs, I mean, like, I know entrepreneurs are CEOs for their own businesses, but this is actually like a young CEO for like a very reputable brand. And I am talking about the CEO for Prudential. And that is Kachiza Quenta. Welcome to the Growth Podcast. Sulanji, thank you very much. And I am so grateful to be on this podcast this morning. Yeah, uh, you you really are young. Not just, you don't you don't just look young, right? You really. Are. <laughs> <laughs> well, so my hairline has started to recede, and if you look really closely, I have some gray hair that's sprouting. So you know, I, yeah. Uh, but in in today's world, gray hair is not a sign of growing. Because I've seen young, like where I work, there's a guy. He's he's very young. Yeah. But yeah. he doesn't have black hair. Like. <laughs> All his hair is gray. Really? Must be a wise guy, according to the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> according to the Bible, he must be a wise guy. So, yeah. yeah. But it's good to have you on the podcast. No, like I said, pleasure is mine. i uh, really honored to be here. Thank you so much. Uh, talk to me about, about your, your early life, like growing up. How, 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 how was your childhood? Um, I suppose it was a childhood like any other. Definitely different from childhood today. Uh, I do not... I didn't sit in front of a TV all day. I did not know what an iPad was. Uh, we played outside, climbed trees, fell down, bruised yourself. Mubbles. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and lots of football until I was about five or six. Then I started to play basketball, which was quite rare at the time. But um, that's one of the things that is probably a cornerstone of my childhood, playing basketball. Uh, all the way until I was around about, I'd say, 16, 17. It was, no. 15, 16, it was an obsession of mine. Um, but beyond that, I grew up in a family. I only have brothers, so four siblings. But I grew up in an African setup, so grew up with many cousins, uncles, and that sort of thing. And, and I think that was a very important um, element of my life. I mixed with people of different sort of dispositions, different mindsets, and, and that sort of thing. And um, one or Call it two large influences on my life was probably my parents. Uh, I say two because, you know, there's two of them. Um, so I think I am who I am now, largely because of my home influence. Um, that's, that's how I would sum it up. Yeah. yeah. And on, on the side of, of school, like where did you go to school, your, your qualifications? Interesting. So I went to the same school from grade 1 to grade 12. I went to Rhodes Park. All right. Um, and then after that, I went to Zika's. I am a chartered accountant. I uh, have also got a master's degree from the University of Leicester, an MBA. And in between my master's and my accounting, I also studied with the Institute of Internal Auditors, so I'm a certified internal auditor as well. Okay. Did you always want to be an accountant? I was pretty clear about it from the time I was in secondary school. So I had two options. I was either going to be a farmer or an accountant. At the moment, I, I have fulfilled one, uh, the accounting one. I, I can't say I'm a successful farmer, but it's, it's, it's on the cards. Like, like every good Zambian, you're, you're, you're <laughs> your plan yeah. is I to, to move really, on to a we've farm. We've transitioned from farming being for when I retire. Yeah, yeah, know? that's right. But now the thing I, I, like, I don't like to see is the fact that most of our farmers are like weekend farmers. Like you're farming on the phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like fertilizer. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Someone was saying like the Chinese don't do that. You're either in business or in a career. Yeah, that's right. But that's us right. Zambians, like over the weekend, oh, farm, oh, yeah, fertilizer, yeah, yeah. those kind of things. 
And so, talk to me about your career journey. Did you start off, you know, um, as an accountant all the way into your current leadership role? Mm. Not, not necessarily. Um, something quite interesting. So I was fortunate that I grew up in a house where my dad worked for himself. So he had his own establishment. And by the time you had functional literacy, you either spent your holidays um, at the farm or at the office. Uh, he's an insurance as well. And so quite early, I was introduced to, to insurance. Um, and I would say, truth be told, that's when my career started. And it started out with simple things like filing, um, cleaning up, um, tagging along when they were going to meet clients, um, sort of, the, and then moving on to slightly more technical roles. So up until I graduated from Zikas, I was basically an understudy with him. And, and I'm really grateful for that. And then post that, I then moved into external audit. I worked for a big four firm uh, as an external auditor. While there, I was also doing some consultancy jobs as well, uh, aside from the technical or the everyday external audit. So I was there for about three years. And then I moved into banking. I worked in accounting. Uh, really wasn't my thing, and I swore that I would never work in accounting again. Uh, moved into internal audit for um, Zanaco at the time. So I was there for a couple of years. And then came along insurance, and it was something that I could say was in my DNA. And so I was very happy to move into what was then professional life and subsequently Prudential. And so there I worked in internal audit, I worked in compliance risk, and at some point even the legal team was sort of op uh, reporting into me as well. Okay. So T talk to me about your, your journey to, to becoming CEO. Mm. Talk me through the journey. How did it happen? Um, you know... I consider myself a very purposeful person, but I also consider myself a very nimble person. And one of the things, and not just CEO, um, just basically leadership, right, is, is something that I have found has to some degree followed me in a sense. And, and maybe it's because I have been, I don't know how to say it, I haven't deliberately sought out these roles, right? But I think I have probably done the basics or the fundamentals such that people then entrust me with certain certain roles. So I talked about basketball that I used to play. And I found, I, I captained my basketball team, for example. I didn't want to. I just wanted to have fun. I just wanted to be there. But I would also try to get everybody along to sort of join into what's going on. And I think if you have the ability to make people thrive in their own sort of areas of specialization, then it kind of positions you to be a good leader. And um, I'm not sure if people are familiar with basketball, but I, I, I'm quite tall, especially for a Zambian. Um, but I prefer to play point guard uh, or playmaker, which typically is done by shorter people. But I just loved being the guy that's passing the ball around and sort of helping sort of control uh, what's going on in a sense where others are then being more effective. And I think that's probably what has led me through to where I am now. Um, to answer your question again more specifically, it was, um, I think, being open-minded, accepting challenges, and working beyond what my functional area is, right? So, um, for example, I worked in compliance. Uh, and, and a compliance person is usually known as the guy who's saying, you can't do this, you can't do that, right? But for me, I looked at compliance more along the lines of, this is the framework we have. And for the business to achieve its objectives, uh, ladies and gentlemen, you should do it this way, right? If that's what you want to do, you can't do it that way. But if that's the objective you want, then please do it that way. Um, I'll tell you an interesting story. I, I've also realized that through my journey, 
people are always watching. Whether it's conscious or subconscious, people are watching. And um, if you display certain capabilities, willingness for you to uh, be part of the team, then you will find yourself in certain roles. And, and the reason I'll, say, I'll tell you a story is in my first job post-qualification um, at the big four firm I mentioned, there was a training opportunity we had. We were being trained. And the guys that came to train us from South Africa said, we, when they were done, they approached one of my managers and said, we want to go back with this guy to the Learning and Development Center so that he can become a trainer as well. Um, I was petrified. I did not like speaking in front of more than one, two people. I was fairly new. And from what I had gathered, that sort of training to be a trainer was um, usually for managers and above, right? And so I, I wasn't interested. But long story short, I did go for that training. I became a trained trainer and I came back. But what I realized was when they had come to train us, while there was one person training in front, there was four people behind that were assessing, um, I think, about five people each. And they were checking for your interpersonal skills. Um, you, how courteous are you? Do you come back on time from the tea break? There's just a list of things that they were um, sort of checking. And I scored quite highly on those. And it wasn't known to me that you know, somebody was looking out. And now that wasn't a formalized environment. But subsequent to that, I've come to realize that every day, every opportunity you have to interact with people, think of it as a job interview because people are assessing, whether consciously or subconsciously. Um, so that, that's pretty much what I would say. I, I would also mention that I've been fortunate because I do work with and I've seen many people who are smarter than I am uh, who could probably do my job as well. But I... I I don't find that to be a threat or I'm not intimidated by that. I actually enjoy working with people who are smarter than I am. And uh, it serves no purpose for me to be the smartest guy in the room. The, the, the other thing I want to find out from you is um, you said you don't really go out looking for most of these opportunities or most of these roles or advancements. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the greater majority... Mm -hmm go out looking for these things. That's right. And I'm sure even in your organization, you know that there are some people who are ambitious, they want to get ahead. What mistakes do you think people make on the, in their ambition trajectory? Like, I want to go up, I want to be successful, I want to be the CEO. What mistakes do they make along the way? So being ambitious is great. I think I'm an ambitious person. But what you have to do today, you must do today, right? So um, I remember there was a guy when we were in, in, uh, in secondary school grade 8, he used to study grade 12 books uh, with uh, you know, A-level physics and that sort of thing. But he wasn't getting the basics of what we were supposed to be learning at that time. There's nothing wrong with sort of being advanced, but the things that you have to do today, do them very well, right? So much so that once you're done with that, if there's time, space for you to raise your hand to say, look, I've finished what I was supposed to do. Can I also do this? Can I do that? I have the bandwidth. I think that then sets you up. So if you're doing what you're supposed to do, very well and you don't even have to fly you know have wings or whatever just just basically this is what you have to do do it well do it efficiently understand the rules cut out the red tape um, and I think then things start to move um, also being available for opportunities outside of your functional area while still taking care of the business that you have to take care of and then I think things start to move from there another thing that people tend to say is I'm a person whose work speaks for itself and then they fold their arms and that's great you should be technical in what you do you should have that capability but I think beyond that you should be able to engage with people you should be able to have 
fairly high EQ as well. Uh, be able to read a room, understand when people are upset with you, so that you need when people are happy with you, so that you sort of respond um, appropriately, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And then also, um, there's always this thing of put your foot in the doorway. You mm. know, um, like you said, some people say, "Yeah, my work speaks for me." Others want you to know that, look, I am working. I am ready for the new position. I am ready for opportunities. How do you? like strategically let management know that look whatever opportunities are there i'm your guy without being the guy that comes and says no sir I, if there's anything i would you know think <laughs> about me you know that because <laughs> ideally emotional intelligence would make management know okay that guy is ready that guy what how do i take deliberate steps without going to make it so obvious i want this promotion i want this job mm -hmm. how do you make those around you aware and have you in mind that's a very good question again it's um it's your interpersonal skills. It's how you talk even outside of formal forums, for example. So if you get in the lift with a person that is significantly higher than you in an organization, you've got 20 seconds, 30 seconds to, to impact their lives or at least have them remember you. It's not, it's not good enough for you to know them, right? But do they know you? So what do you say in those, those sort of 30 seconds? Do you get to know this leader as a person, even outside of that technical space, so much so that when you have conversations with them, they remember, oh yeah, it was John I was speaking to. And I think last time John mentioned that he wanted to do X and Y. I had a friend of mine who got a really good opportunity and it's because he agreed to play golf with a leader that people did not like in his organization. They thought that this boss was, you know, the worst person on earth and that sort of thing. And so there was an opportunity for him to play golf and he said, oh, I don't, I don't mind, I'll, I'll go and play golf. And they had this conversation where out of it, an opportunity came two years later and when he got it, um, the boss then reminded him and said, oh, I remember the time we played golf at that point. You mentioned that you wanted to do X and Y. Uh, I never forgot that. Um, so, you know, these little things do matter. But also sometimes in a room, you'll be surprised how when you ask for volunteers for something, there's this project we're doing, who would like to be part of it? People never raise their hands. Uh, and so it's seizing the, these opportunities and then being able to pull through when you when you when you have that opportunity so dedicate yourself and and demonstrate that you can and that doesn't mean being perfect it's also owning up when you make mistakes along the way and you know the, the truth hurts but it, it never kills right so going to somebody and saying look there's this task you gave me i've managed x y there's z that's still remaining i need a little bit more time or i really don't understand this could you please walk me through it again um and being authentic is is just something that's priceless all right i want to take you back a bit to um the moment you actually became CEO of Prudential. Mm. When you, when the moment arrived, like, mm. like when it hit you, the, oh, I've actually taken the role. Mm. What was you running in your mind? Um, big shoes to fill. So the previous CEO was uh, technically astute, great guy, and um, so many milestones had been hit in the organization under his leadership, and so I figured, you know, we have to keep this momentum going. I probably just need a few seconds to breathe and then sort of reorient myself. So that was one. But two, I, I'm privileged to work for an organization that, for lack of a better word, does not play Russian roulette with its leadership. So for, I'd say, the last five years leading up to that, I had been on so many programs um, that were sort of developing me to get me to that stage. Um, and these programs were both run in Zambia and outside of Zambia. I had an opportunity to travel around, uh, meet other colleagues as well. I went through several um, assessments, both for my 
technical capabilities and my my soft skills and awareness programs such that I'm probably a lot more aware of who I am now than I was before that. And so I know that I was equipped. I was supported by my shareholders and their representatives. And so it wasn't daunting from that perspective, but it was just more, okay, how do I galvanize everybody and how do I bring my own way of doing things um, to allow others to also be able to thrive and bring their own way of doing things so that ultimately we can serve our customers the best way we possibly can. All right. And your... You had to do an interview or it was just like an appointment? It was an appointment. Well, it was both. So like I mentioned, there was quite an extensive process leading up to this. It was both an interview and you could say an appointment. So the, I, the job wasn't necessarily advertised. But leading up to that, I was talking and meeting so many people. And, and looking back after my appointment, um, some of the interviews I had were even over dinner. So it's all we've traveled to country X and where there's leadership who have come in from from group. We're having dinner with them. Uh, I remember the n there was one specifically where the Africa CEO suggested that I should sit next to his boss then and said, oh, you're going to have we're going for dinner. Sit next to him so you can get to know him. Uh, unknown to me, that was actually one of the interviews that I was having. Uh, and, and we just had a really good conversation about life and sort of what I believe in, what he believes in. And, um, you know, there were subsequent meetings we had, again, where, and this points back to what I said earlier, that every interaction you have with people, especially in the corporate world, inadvertently is some kind of interview, right? Um, I have taken it away from me. I, I have interacted with people with whom I have asked them to do something for me. Um, say, Look, I really need this. I know it's heading towards five 10 more minutes, could you please push this through for me and send it through? And they say, oh, yeah, yeah sure, I'll do it. it. It tends to be something we do in our society. People don't like to say no, right? And then, you know, 30 minutes later, you're looking for that person, um, and either they have gone or, you, you know, something like that. And then you meet them in an, in an interview, sort of like a formal, formalized interview, and the person would like to say to you that I'm a person that goes above and beyond. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like, of <laughs> yeah, but the truth is you, you really get to know people in a live environment, right? And so um, I would say I, I did have different styled interviews and there were also many assessments that led up to that. Um, so IQ tests, EQ tests, personality tests, and, and, and for two reasons, right? So obviously the leadership want to know, can we trust this person with this responsibility? But also for myself, you get these reports that then show that, okay, you, this is the kind of person that you are. And this is a good trait, but, you know, it can also be a disadvantage in, in, in such an area. So you need to be aware of how you manage yourself. So, yeah. Wow. And like I said in the beginning, look, you, you, you look relatively young. Uh. Um, do you get insubordination? Like in the workplace, have you ever experienced that? Where <laughs> people like, yeah, like you're the CEO, but I'm older than you. I've been more experienced. Do you get that? And how do you deal with that? As, and, and I'm asking because mm. there are a lot of young people, may not be at CEO level, but mm. they're either a manager mm. and they've got subordinates that are maybe older than them. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. sometimes you feel like if I was older, this wouldn't happen. <laughs> you, you get that, right? No, I, I hear what your question is. Uh, do I get that? Not necessarily, no. I've So I'm privileged, like I said. I have had... Lots of training, lots of experience, lots of exposure. I've worked in different types of organizations, private, um, owner-managed organizations, and even um, some that were semi-government, um, right, where hierarchy is probably a really, really big thing. 
Um, I remember once, not in my current role, but previously, I, I sent an email to somebody in, in an organization I used to work. And when I went, you know, day one, day two, day three, well, I didn't get a response. So I went to see them. I said, look, I sent you an email. I need this. And they said, oh, well, you know your boss? I said, yeah. And you know their boss? I said, yeah. And then their boss, that's the person who should be talking to me, not you. Right? And I said, oh, I'm, I'm, it's unfortunate you feel that way, but I'm the one that's been empowered to carry out this particular role. And if you're not going to assist me, I will close out this matter with um, that response you have given me, and I will move on to my next assignment. Um, you know, by the time I got back to my desk, he had replied to, to what, what I had asked for. Um, maybe he thought I was a bit cheeky, but I think as long as you sort of show up, you show people respect, um, thing, thing, things happen, uh, things flow. Bringing it back to my position now, I'm, I'm privileged that I work with professionals, uh, people that are experts in their field, and I respect them for their capabilities and their technical ways. My job is largely to be like the conductor in an orchestra, right? So I'm not a technical guy that can play the saxophone or the guitar or whatever it is, but I'm here to make sure that the guitar guy has got adequate space, has the right guitar, and that what he's playing is according to the notes that all of us are trying to bring together. And no, I, I, I can't say that I, I have that that particular challenge. I may have had it much earlier in my career. So I started working quite early on. I was about, I think, 19 uh, when I was done with my, my university. And so initially I used to have a little bit of that, but not so much. Uh, I know what I am doing and I also respect individuals. And, and the truth is, you, sometimes you might have a person that's being call it defiant or act, sort of acting in an insubordinate way, but I don't attribute their behavior to who I am. I could be much older than them and they could still be sort of doing that. And so I, I don't look at it as me, but perhaps with them. And, and sometimes you have to understand that people have bad days. People are going through things and, and you have conversations later on. It's like, well, when I was asking for this, you didn't seem okay. Is everything okay? And sometimes you find, well, this person's going through something really, really difficult. They had uh, a difficult night. Their child was ill. They were in hospital. They just used the last bit of energy they had to sort of shower and still come to the office. And once you sort of understand some of these things, it's easy to sort of then keep working on with people. Yeah. Sometimes some people just wanted your position, you know, and they never got it. So <laughs> <laughs> just I mean, it's, it's a possibility, <laughs> but uh, like in any sort of setup, the, the a bus only has one steering wheel, right? And... Uh, at any point in time, you can only have one driver. Yeah, and sure. if you are in that bus, it, it's important that you make sure that the driver is actually going where you're all supposed to go and that the driver is not being distracted because if something negative happens, you also get affected. So, What, what lessons have you learned um, in leadership and about leadership? Because mm. basically, like you have an ego's view of your organization. There's nothing that you... Well, don't know you, you can see everything yeah that someone who is at manager level or in a department may not see mm. what have you learned about leadership from the time that you've been ceo and also from your other prospective roles in the past what have you learned about leadership that most people mm. who want to aspire for leadership may not understand so i talked about one thing you don't have to be the smartest guy in the room um make sure you surround yourself with people who are actually smarter than you people that can perhaps even execute better than you, but give them a platform for them to excel. Um, so if you diminish and other people sort of uh, rise, then you're doing the best thing you can do as a leader. That's one. Two is that there's a difference between being um, fair and being, being nice. 
right? I can be fair to you by not being nice to you. And that's the best thing that needs to be done at that particular point in time. And I strive to be fair. I can't say I do it 100% of the time, but I'll sleep at night if I know that I was being fair to somebody, even if what the outcome was from either a discussion or a decision I made may not have been pleasant to them. Uh, and being transparent as well about your actions or the reasons behind what you're doing, it, it goes a long way. And, and I keep saying the last one, right? But this one is <laughs> the last one I'll, I'll mention here. If you really enjoy the success of other people, then you're geared to be a leader. And if you can just have other people succeeding and other people, everybody else around you succeeding, inadvertently it does two things. One, they are happy. They are sort of bringing their best versions of themselves. But in addition to that, their success ultimately is your success as well. You, you cannot do everything by yourself. So you need to have the right people. But beyond that, just make them succeed. Wow, that's interesting. Um, the, the other thing I wanted to find out from you is um, what is your leadership style? <laughs> Maybe I should have brought my people here so you can <laughs> ask them. <laughs> but but I, I, I believe in empowerment. I, I do like people to have the freedom or the space to do what they do, how they do it, ho however they do it. I, I'm more interested in the outcome obviously as long as a person operates within an ethical framework right so I, I don't like to micromanage I do get involved when I feel that you know we're not where we need to be because yeah. maybe we just need to make a decision now but for the most part I like to give people room for them to sort of express themselves or work the way that they want to work again bringing it back to the way that we are set up especially where I work we have people that work in extremely technical fields and so if I'm able to support them and have them do the best that they possibly can, then, you know, I, I'm okay with that. Um, that said, I'm not afraid to make difficult decisions. And when I have thought through a particular course of action, even if at the time it may not be popular, but if it's in the best interest of the shareholder, the customer, the staff, then we just have to go ahead with that. And I, I don't look back once I've, I've sort of made that decision. Do you ever have, like, you... you like you go home sometimes and you sit and look back at the day and say, I should have handled that better. I should have, you know. Do you ever get that? I do. Uh, so two days ago, I, I won't give you the specifics, but there's a third party we deal with who was not um, happy with something that we should have done perhaps a lot quicker, right? And, and they raised this matter with me. And so I called one of my direct reports and I expressed my dissatisfaction and I told them I wanted that matter fixed today. And they explained to me that it might take more than 24 hours. I said, I want that fixed today. Um, they were still explaining and I said, my friend, that thing needs to be fixed today. Goodbye. Um, she did fix the matter. <laughs> um, but I called her the following day and I apologized. I said, I did not listen to you. I did not display certain tenants that I believe in, and I'm sorry. Um, she said, it's no big deal, I understand. I said, no, 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 no. Uh, I, I really want you to know that I am sorry. I acted out of character, and I apologize. So I'm, I'm not afraid to apologize because I know that I am human, but I obviously do not put myself out there to deliberately um, antagonize or not, not respond to people the way I should. Okay. What would you say has been one of your most notable achievements so far? Um, 
It's very interesting. I I don't know. I, I don't know if it's because I was having a chat with somebody the other day, a CEO for a large bank. We're always talking about looking for the next high or the next thing, so much so that you don't look back um, for sort of what registers to you as, as your biggest achievement. But I would say it's probably being a, a husband and a father. I really enjoy... Um, the opportunity that I have to to shepherd my my little family, um, and for us to just have moments where we're laughing and smiling, um, knowing that we live in a very difficult world, and then we sleep and just have that peace at home. Um, that's probably one of the greatest things in my life, and and that's by God's grace. Yeah, and talking about family, most people. <laughs> I don't like to ask people this question, but I, I know people ask it a lot, and I'm sure you've gotten it a lot. How would you balance work and family and whatnot? <laughs> because to be honest with you, I'm not a CEO, okay? Yeah. But sometimes I feel like my I spend too much time at work, you know? Yeah, I spend too much time yeah, thinking yeah. about work. Because yeah, so, yeah, yeah. some people may physically be with their family, mm, but the mm. mind is, Monday, how do we deal with that? How yeah, do we, how, yeah. Oh, there's that thing that's pending. We haven't mm, achieved that. and mm. So it takes away the joy of... how do you make your family happy because some people feel you daddy would have more time for us if he was just a manager some people see promotion as yeah but then like your family is celebrating a promotion but they're thinking okay this is less time (laughs) he's gonna travel more he's gonna work how does it work for you um it's very interesting so both times that my wife was expecting in the maternity ward i had the first time I had my laptop on the side, that was before she went into labor. <laughs> I had just gotten into a role, a new role, and I needed to deliver something. But as soon as I delivered what I needed to deliver, I shut my laptop and I said, look, I'm going to be here um, as best as I can. Not that I was very helpful from a technical perspective, but I think my presence was important. Funny enough, the second time as well, I needed to sign off something. And when I did sign off that one thing, I, I put my iPad away. Um, I'm fortunate I have a wife who understands. So she's also a professional and um, is actively involved in in a day job. And so we try to cover for each other. So when she's not available, I try my best. And and she does that as well. But I I must admit, maybe she takes the brunt of it because I travel a lot more than she does. And and I think it's about being open and and transparent and saying, look, this is my calendar for the next year and this is what we're going to do. I will block out this time, and once this time is blocked out, I, it's not available for anybody else. I, I never work on Saturday. Come rain, come sunshine. I, I go to church, and I spend the day with my family. I will respond to anything I need to after 6 o'clock on Saturday, um, and that time has been blocked out for my family. It's not enough to compensate for what I'm missing out on throughout the week, but I, I, I have made that very sort of hard distinction, so much so that a couple of years ago I had a job opportunity that was going to pay me quite a lot of money um, with, with one bank, and they were inflexible about that day that I have set aside, and uh, we couldn't see eye to eye on that, and I didn't take up that job, and I have no regrets whatsoever, because then I'm able to sort of refresh, um, talk to my God, and be with my family. At least once a week I have set aside that particular special time. What are your values? I, I, so I, I grew up in a Christian home, but at some point much later on, I had my own experience, and I liked, people call it a born-again experience, um, and, and so I, I, I am a Christian. I am 
probably a good Christian because I admit that I'm not perfect and I still have a lot of growth in, 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 my, Christian, in my Christian walk. But uh, at a basic level, I just want to treat people the way that I want to be treated by them. Um, that, that's sort of my basic creed. And, and then the second one is that I don't control the future and uh, whatever I have now is just a blessing and I should maximize the time I've been given with whatever I've been given. In your role as a CEO, do you get conflicted mm. between Kachisa, the person mm. who's kind and you want to be nice to this person, <laughs> but the CEO <laughs> has to be hard on you? Yeah. Like, do you get those conflicting? Like, look, if, if you're up to me, I would do this, but the CEO doesn't agree. You mm. know? Like, it's one person. Yes, you're CEO, but at the end of the day, you're a human being. You yeah, know, yeah, with yeah. a heart, and sometimes you... Because you feel like... Let me be human. Let me be nice. Let me be kind. Yeah, yeah. But the professional side is saying, "Look, you have to do what, like you say, this, this yeah, is. Yeah. It's not nice, but it's fair." Mm-hmm. How do you deal with those two conflicting sides of you, the human being mm-hmm. and the CEO that may have to be firm? So I, I wouldn't even call them conflicting. I think it's maybe more: Do I want to be a popularist or do I want to do the right thing? Right. And so, I think we spoke about this earlier. I'm I'm comfortable making difficult decisions if it's the best decision. I I wouldn't want to subordinate my workmates to the sort of relationship I have with my children, but I'll use that as an example, right? So my child might kick and scream because he wants candy in the night. Um, and, and, and it will hurt me to see him in that particular position. But if I know that, you know, he's brushed his teeth, it's time to sleep, we can't deal with the sugar high right now, and it's the right thing to do. I will sleep peacefully at night because I know that what I, the decision I've made now is better for the long run. What might sometimes be a conflict is when you have difficult decisions that perhaps business sense says yeah you can't do this right but then there's also maybe a customer who you have to accommodate in a certain way and you need to find that fine balance because relationships mean a lot more than money right and and so maybe those are some of the conflicts i have but in terms of being nice i think being nice in the short term and creating problems is actually not being nice um so i i don't tend to to lose sleep over that you guys sell what is relatively a not so common product in Zambia. That's right. And I've interacted with your staff. Hmm. Um, look, in Zambia, you just mentioned, no, when you die, what and what? Ah, people are just like, no, <laughs> don't think about that. I don't <laughs> how, 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 how do you lead people to begin to sell what is seemingly a difficult product? Hmm. How has the experience been like for you? Because I know there are some products that are very easy to sell. Because yeah. When I just say this, you know what it is. You know the benefits. Yeah. It's, it's one of those, oh, yeah, let me sign. But life insurance mm. is not something that someone thinks about because even in Zambia, just writing a will, <laughs> knowing you're going to die, you want to is die a bit of a challenge, wish. isn't it? Yeah, 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 it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's also a cultural thing, I think, more yeah. than any other thing. How do you how do you get across to succeed in mm. terms of your? Because I'm sure you've got KPIs. We must sign these numbers and we must do this. And that. How do you inspire people to deliver on such things? That's a very good question, and. Um, Zambia is getting better when it comes to financial literacy, that I must say. And and one of the things the organization I work for has done is we have partnered with the Ministry of Education. We have a financial literacy program that we've rolled out in four provinces with uh, selected government schools. It's our desire to have this as part of the entire school curriculum. It's a program called Cha-Ching. It's a financial literacy program which uh, teaches children how to earn, save, spend, and invest so that a person then understands how, how to be money smart, right? Uh, but bringing it down to our actual customers, um, it's basically the same thing. So it's 
explaining what we do, but more from a needs-based perspective. So we won't come to you and say, here's a policy for you to buy so that when you die, your family uh, has something. It's more, okay, so what are your dreams? What are your aspirations? Um, are you married? Do you have children? What kind of school do they go to? Would you like them to continue going to that kind of school even when you're not around? Um, and how have you sort of prepared for that? Oh, okay. Um, well, think about this, think about that. We have this sort of range of products and this, okay, well, this actually this product is not good for you or it's not best suited for you because of your circumstances, but consider this other one. And so when we do needs-based selling, we find then people understand what they're buying and then they can get into that commitment because our products are quite long-term, 10 years, 15 years. Uh, you no, can't afford... A week ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't afford to product push on a person. Yeah. And, and we have consultants, we have staff that are well-trained to understand the needs of our customers, but have the customer also understand their needs during the process so that we can deliver this. And our growth has been quite phenomenal. We consistently have been outgrowing the market, um, so much so that last year by GWP, which is gross written premium terms, we became the largest uh, life insurance company five years ago in position four, position three. Um, and so it's a testament to the fact that we're able to do this. And it's not just me, actually. I'm probably the face of what's happening behind with an engine that's got amazing people and amazing systems. Great. My last question to you. What would you say would be your top five pieces of advice to young professionals who are trying to thrive in their career? Um, I don't know if I'll go all the way up to five, but... Um, Proverbs 3, verse 5, lean not on your own understanding, uh, trust in the Lord, acknowledge him, and he'll straighten your path, right? Knowing that you are an instrument of God's will and being available to be used by him whenever, wherever he sends you, I think it sets you up to do amazing things on this earth, and you will never find yourself complaining. Um, at the risk of starting to preach, my favorite Bible character is um, Joseph. He's a guy who's accused of um, rape and is thrown in a prison. And he sees some people who are sad. And the first thing he, he goes to do is he asks them, why do you look like downcast? Most of us would be very happy to see these criminals and think to yourself, yeah, I, I don't even deserve to be here. These are the, you know, the worst of the earth and that sort of thing. So if you can have that kind of mindset, it doesn't matter where you're thrown to, where you find yourself. You're going to thrive. You will excel. That would be my sort of piece of advice. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right. So we're having a conversation with the CEO for Prudential, uh, Kacheza Quenda. Uh, quite some interesting insights, uh, obviously. You are on LinkedIn more than any other social media, right? Yeah. <laughs> You're on Facebook. No, I'm not. I... So... No, I'm not. I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. And, and it's quite simple. I used to find that at some point I spent more time on Facebook being unproductive than being productive. And so that was why I stopped. But I, I think I should have myself retrained on, on, on the use of it and use it positively. So perhaps I will become more vibrant there. But yes, LinkedIn, you will find me there. Yeah, so LinkedIn is Pachisa Quinta. Um, obviously, you will get some professional insights from him. Um, otherwise, thank you so much for sparing the time. Remember to like, subscribe, and also share the video. And tag a friend, especially a friend who's trying to thrive in their career. This could be a game changer for them. We'll see you in our next edition.